so I'm starting it. Okay. Hello, climate change. Waking up and taking action, one conversation at a time. That's my cool tagline for this mm-hmm. podcast. <laughs> and um, lately, I've had conversations with people that like are somewhat of experts on various things, which is sort of part of what I want to do, but mainly what I want to do is just have conversations with people who are thinking about this and struggling with it in the same way that I am and trying to figure out how to integrate what we're coming to understand about what's going on in in the world around climate um, with the way we are approaching our day-to-day lives. So I've been having good conversations with my friend Beth, um, Beth Hudson Hankins. Mm-hmm. She's with me today. Hi, Beth. Hi, Amy. (laughs) And um, um, we didn't really talk in depth about what we're going to talk about, but but we were just saying this morning we both are frazzled and distracted and rushed, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that maybe that's a great way to actually approach this because you don't get to... What you said before, why don't you say it? Well, what I said before is, as I was driving up here, feeling like I was running a little bit behind, is... Part of dealing with climate change is figuring out how to do things differently. And it's really hard to do if we're already feeling pressured and running behind and have time constraints and financial constraints. It's really difficult to incorporate a whole nother level of change into that. Yeah. Yeah. Huge, huge other level, which isn't... And it's like we have to make change that... We have to change the system so that it would support us making change. Right, right, right. Yeah. So um, so what's on your mind, Beth? Well, um, I <laughs> just wanted to go back to how we started this whole conversation. Yeah. Um, you asked me why I went to the climate change rally yeah. last September. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious to know what, uh, you know, how that came into your mind. How did you... How did you happen to remember that I went? Mm. What were you curious about? For various, because of various people in my life who were really taking on this topic, I kind of found I was, it, it, brought, it brought me to a place where it's like, well, this is something I care about, but, I, but I'm not taking it on. Mm-hmm. And what, what does that mean? And one of the things was that um, um, Sarah Bowie, who I was one of the first people I talked to in, on this podcast, um, who um, uh, organized a teach-in on climate change at Clark, where I was teaching, and asked me to... Um, well, she didn't ask me specifically, but she sent out an email asking for people if they had uh, to, teachers to support... Um, her effort. So it, either if their if classes were meeting during that time to to incorporate something or allow their students to go attend or or um, if you don't have a class meeting maybe facilitate a discussion group and I didn't mm-hmm. have a class at the time and I and my dog is now attacking Beth because she loves her so <laughs> it's going to be a distraction. Um, I didn't have a class so I I offered to do a um, discussion group and then and then I felt like oh boy, I'm going to be in a position where um, where people are going to be talking about their understanding of climate change and their feelings about it and their urgency about it and whatever it happens to be. And I didn't want to be... This isn't something that actually happened, but I was afraid of a, a, a scenario where people were talking about sort of 
uh, uh, rumor kind of ideas of what's mm-hmm. going on rather than fact, you mm-hmm. know, and I didn't want to be able be not know enough to not be able to correct them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so because of that, I did a little bit of research mm-hmm. and the little, and I listened to a talk by Naomi Klein, which I think I maybe sent you a link to. I don't know if you, you got to Mm-mm. hear it. Um, well, anyway, um, this particular talk, uh, just really brought it home for me the 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 reality of what we're up against and how basically we've gotten to a point now where things are going to be bad and they already are getting bad but they're going mm-hmm. to get so bad that um and I'm saying this what I mean by that is that because we've already put so much carbon in the atmosphere and the effects mm-hmm. of that um won't are slow to 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 show themselves. So right. the effects of the amount of carbon we put in the atmosphere now, um, w- you know, are yet to come. Mm-hmm. And um, and so she was saying that it's likely that there's going to be pressure to use these um, uh, what's that word geoengineering type solutions that that are very very difficult to predict, prove, or control. And such as like putting sulfur um, compounds into the atmosphere to like act as a false sort of cloud in a sense. Oh. Um, um, sort of like a, what happens when a volcano erupts and it puts all these particles in the atmosphere mm-hmm. and, and basically creates this like cloud cover in a sense. And in history, when that has happened, the temperature of the earth has gone down temporarily, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but, um, but this would be like a volcano every day, you know? So Uh it would be something that would have to, I mean, it depends. I don't really know exactly how they would work it, but we would have a hazy sky Mm -hmm. and, and it would be like, um, it would be, but it would still not be addressing the issue, which is that we're, we are poisoning the atmosphere with, with -hmm. carbon. So, so when I sort of, Oh, Millie, she really, really, really likes Beth and thinks this is playtime. So, oh, I'm sorry. We'll be editing out as many barks as possible, but some mm-hmm. of them may stay in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm doing this in a different room, which I can't close the door on her. So, um, so we'll just have to bear with it. Um, anyway, so that that's a long way, way around to saying that suddenly I was awake. It felt like I'd been I woke up and mm-hmm. and. I was looking around in my life and thinking like, am I, I, there's a feeling like nobody else is awake. Right. But then I thought, oh, and that's really hard. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, but, but, but Beth went to the climate march. Let me see if, you know, where that came from. Mm -hmm. So I'll throw this question back at you. You want to know where that came from? Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about climate change for several years Mm -hmm. And I'm feeling pretty clueless in terms of what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And I've always had this mu- thought in my head that the, our government is going to tell us what to do. You know, <laughs> it, it will, the government will make some regulations, mm-hmm. set stuff up, and then it'll be all good. Um, and I realized that that's not really what's happening. Um, and so when I read about this climate change march happening... I was really excited because I felt like this is really going to have to be in some ways a grassroots organization, a grassroots movement that 
it's going to have to reach a tipping point and then maybe some of the other structures will fall into place. So I wanted to go um, partly because I wanted to be another body out there showing that it mattered and partly because I wanted my family to come with me and be brought along with me because I think that's easier and partly because my mother, um, who's 78, has always been an environmental activist in her own way, and she was going, and I knew that she would just be ecstatic if, if we went too. Wow. So um, we signed up, got the bus tickets, and went, and it was a really amazing experience. I don't know that we learned anything in particular because educating several hundred thousand people all at once is not something that you really do easily. But on the bus down there, they were having videos and there was written material. So I felt like it was, in some ways, a good educational tool for the people who went. Mm. Yeah, and I didn't didn't go to that, but I did go to the uh, Connecticut, put its own little climate march together um, more recently. And, you know, I went to that thinking this will be a chance to meet other people who mm-hmm. are in my area, who are doing things in my area. And that has that was good for me. I don't think that it mattered how many people, frankly, were there because it was on a weekend, Sunday or something, and it, right downtown Hartford mm-hmm. is such a business district, it really didn't have any spectators at all. Um, but it was good to just get together with people. The one one thing that's held me back about... I mean, I felt bad about this for a long time. I've been aware, you know, the the rainforests were being destroyed. And, you know, since, I don't know, the 80s maybe I've been aware of that. Um, mm-hmm. And since we were kids and there was there was sort of a sense of like, you know, the, we're, go, we're, we're treating the earth badly um, mm-hmm. and it's going to come back and bite us. It's always been sort of in the background, but I've never really felt like there was anything I could do. And I've not been attracted to the idea of being a protester. Mm-hmm. And that's still something I'm grappling with. Like there's the pipeline, the gas pipeline in our area that's about to be, be expanded and there's, there's going to be a, a protest. And I'm just thinking like, well, what's that? I don't know. I just, I, I would rather, I would like to figure out how to, I think that there is a critical mass. I think you're right. Like that's the thing. It's, a, it's really discouraging until you get up to that amount, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. So that's why I was really happy when you talked to me about it and then really excited when you decided to do this podcast because I think the more people talk about it with other people, the more we just bring it up, the more it sort of drops into conversations, the more people will be aware and come along with it. So I think it is a matter of widespread, constant bringing it up. Yeah. And then, you know, there's the whole other question of what do we each do on an individual level? And that's where I still am, is wondering what, you know, what changes I need to make in my personal life and how to encourage other organizations to be involved, too. Mm. Like our town government or state government. Right. Yeah, that's... What was I going to say? The individual level, that's the place where I think a lot of people focus because that's where we feel like we have some control. Mm-hmm. But, but I also feel like that's, that's the place that we've been sort of trained to put our attention 
since the 70s when there were those ads with the Indian on the horse back mm-hmm. when we called them Indians rather than Native Americans. Um, and it was all about like littering. It was like, don't litter was, was really like the environmental awareness went to that, the, to that place and not further. Like I remember feeling as a kid, like, okay, I get it. It looks bad, but what about the land? Like the, the well, the, in those days it wasn't a landfill. It was just the dump, mm-hmm. you know, is that, isn't that litter in a sense? I was, I was, um, I watched this little video clip that's, um, was a promo for a longer documentary. I haven't, I don't remember the title of it right now, but just yesterday. And it was about pig farming in, um, Smithfield is the company that that's the largest uh, pork producer in this country. And they have these huge factory they're not even farms they're they're just they're buildings full crammed full of pigs and then um all of their waste falls through slots in the floor and -hmm. goes out to these great big ponds and then those ponds are are as big as like a medium-sized city's worth of waste and then they get too full and so to deal with the overflow they spray it into the air Oh. And um, all of these, and they're, they're all, always in these poor communities. And for the people who live nearby, it's like raining um, urine and feces. Mm-hmm. And it's just this mist that comes down and they, they can close up their houses while, and, you know, but the smell gets in and it gets into everything and they get asthma and they get headaches and they get, they get even more serious health consequences because of it. And it's, and it's, this for me is like a good capsule of like how we, um, how much of this is happening in our names. You know, we eat our ham sandwich and don't know anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. So that made me feel like, okay, here's a great little microcosm of a large issue to think about. Like, so on one hand, like the, the, the personal action feels like the easiest, most accessible thing. Well, okay, I just won't buy ham. I, I just won't buy from that company mm-hmm. or some, some kind of, some kind of like protest there. But probably those poorer people who live in that area also work for that company, and mm-hmm. they need their jobs. And so, um, not that they want we want to continue what they're doing, but there seems to be a need for a bigger scale of response to it than than a boycott, I guess. Even though that seems I don't know. You know what I'd like? I'd like to find out more about what are what what um, grassroots efforts are actually effective. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about that? No. Okay. Well, we'll have to learn. I'm aware of um, the group in France that's starting to raise international awareness of not having palm oil in your right. foods mm-hmm. because they cut down the rainforests for. Th- as a to create a palm oil crop mm-hmm. and that you know that's just popping up in the mm-hmm. regular old news so right. i feel like that's another place where that tipping point is coming yeah yeah i i um there's a woman who who i who um i don't know the names i'm going to put links on the show notes um she produced some videos, in it, and I think the name of her website is Story of Stuff, storyofstuff.org. And, um, and she did a podcast for a while where she was interviewing various people who are taking action on, on issues around um, the environment. And she interviewed um, 
a young person, like a like maybe a twelve year old, who started a, a campaign against um, non sustainable palm oil production, which um, which with like getting other kids to to write letters and mm-hmm. and those kind of things, and has made some progress, and so that that was inspiring. Um, one thing I found that I wanted to share with you, Beth, and, and I actually used to have the link up on my computer, which is right here, but I can get it back. It's from the Center for Research on Environmental Decisions, C-R-E-D, CRED. Um, and they produced a little manual called The Psychology of Climate Change Communication. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and this is from Columbia University, mm-hmm. and they ha- so they have a, there's actually grad programs now at Columbia and at Yale, and maybe there are others as well that are all about how to communicate climate change. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So this, um, I was reading, I was sort of glancing through this. Um, by the way, this is a PDF that you can download um, online, and the, the link is guide.cred. Dot Columbia dot edu. So cred is C-R-E-D. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so the contents of this kind of walk you through what, what the, the necessary steps are and what the pitfalls are mm-hmm. of talking about climate change. And, um, you know, there's a section called Beware the Overuse of Emotional Appeals. Yeah, that and makes then, sense. Yeah. And then there's another part that I thought was really interesting there. They talked about... Um, what is uh, the, they call it the single action bias, mm-hmm. and they said it's. Um, so they said, in, I'm just going to read you a little section. It says, in response to uncertain and risky situations, humans have a tendency to focus and simplify their decision making. Individuals responding to a threat are likely to rely on one action, even when it provides only incremental protection or risk reduction, and it may not be the most effective option. People often take no further action, presumably because the first one succeeded in reducing their feeling of worry or vulnerability. This phenomenon is called the single action bias. And um, so one example they gave was, um, like, you ask a group of people, how many of you have switched out your light bulbs for the the more efficient kind? And most people will raise their hand. And then they'll say, how many of you turn off your computer when you go to bed? Mm-hmm. And most of them don't raise their hand, and I and I was like, oh, that's me. That's what I I've changed my light bulbs, but I don't turn my because it's like I have to shut down all those tabs and uh, I just don't bother. Mm-hmm. And and it's yeah, that's one small thing that I mean, but that's still. But I also want to just be really clear that our individual conservation efforts are just not going to be enough. No. Yeah. But I am really. That's one of the things that I'm really interested in is. Um, how people can have the courage to address this, to actually look at it because it is so painful and scary. And um, to I think there is a role for each of us to take some personal actions because I think in some ways that gives us strength to keep moving forward. So my assumption was not if you do that one step of replacing your light bulbs that you'll stop. It was more that you'll feel empowered and you'll say, okay, I did that one thing. Mm-hmm. Nothing bad happened. I don't feel like I'm you know, sacrificing and making my life miserable. What's the next step I can do when it's clear that there's something productive to do? And that um, 
when we look around and we see that everybody else has changed out their light bulbs, then we think, okay, yep, I've, I can do that too. Or if you just drop into conversation, oh, you know, I have to turn my computer off before I go to bed, that that's one more way of just letting people know what's a positive thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm, when you talked about your, uh, the professor at Clark, I was really interested in what she did, which was not just send out an announcement, but ask people to take a specific action, maybe not a big one, but that by asking people to do one thing, she sort of brought people along. Yeah. Um, so that's what I, that's where I am is trying to figure out, okay, what's, what's empowering for an individual and what's more, what needs to be done more on a group level. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the fact that you went to the climate march in, in New York, um, I mean, you went for these other reasons, but then another effect is that I knew you went. Right. So it gave me, you know, like uh, an in to, to mm-hmm. realize there's somebody else out there thinking about this in my, in my social group, you know, mm-hmm. which I think is when you start to kind of look around and see this topic, that may be the, such an, the most important thing is to find out, figure out the, how to not be the only one or, or to become aware of others who are thinking about it. Like, have you, have you had any similar, have you found other people as well, just, you know, that you didn't expect were thinking about this? Um, I was surprised at the number of people I knew who went, uh-huh. um, and that, you know, where the buses left yeah. from and really encouraged by the huge, huge number of buses that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm aware that there's a climate change group at my church, and I feel like that's a, a way for a small group to get together and make some progress, even only within that little group. Yeah. Um, I, I can't attend because it's not... In a, at a time that I can go. Mm. But, you know, once you know that, okay, this particular um, organization has a group that looks at climate change, then maybe it's easier to say, hey, how about if we carpool to this meeting or something like that? Right. I'm inspired, I'm encouraged by how many churches are taking this on. As mm-hmm. a, and then, and did you, um, are you aware of the Pope's? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was really amazed and impressed by what a strong statement yeah. uh, because I think that he's speaking to a group of people that hadn't been spoken to specifically before. Yeah, right. One thing that you and I find ourselves talking about is the challenge of communicating to the people closest to us yes. about this. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm just curious to hear you say where you're at with that, what where what you figured out so far, and what where the challenge lies. Well, it's a challenge in a number of different ways because in my family there are several different levels of things. My sister 
is an executive director of an environmental advocacy organization in Maine. And so she's um, she does a lot of advocating at the state legislatures and even went to Washington. So I feel like she's um, kind of on top of things. My mother is very educated, but I don't really want to go into the oh no, woe is me, the sky is falling in, which I feel like can be a danger with people who are really involved and educated. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband and I have slightly different views. I think he's willing to go along if I'm the one who's implementing the change. Um, but he doesn't really feel like it's something to initiate right now. Hmm. So there have been a few examples of things where composting, for instance, it's such a basic thing, but he didn't want a bunch of garbage in the yard. You know, that's how he was thinking of it. Uh -huh. And then when we got the compost container and he saw how it worked, now he's really, really on board. But it takes, it takes an example of how it's going to work. Right. for him to feel like, okay, that's okay to do. Well, On the other hand, he was the one who changed out all the light bulbs. So, <laughs> well, Tell me about your composting container. What did you get? Um, my mother gave me this great composting container. It's three plastic squares, so they fit on top of each other like a stacking box. Mm -hmm. um, each one's maybe a foot high, mm -hmm. and, and then the top one has a lid. So you open up, you know, you stack all three up, open up the lid, drop the stuff in. And then when you want to get the compost material out, you take off the top stack, set it down wherever you want to dig it out to, put the next one on top of that, and then dig out the compost material into the next stacking set. So you can take it apart in order to be able to get the compost material out. So the the bottom one on the stack is the one that's been composted the longest? Yeah. And then it becomes... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I have, like, a completely cobbled-together composting arrangement where I just have some stakes in the ground and wire going... Wire, like a chicken mm -hmm. coop kind of wire going around in three sides, and I just throw stuff into a pile, and it is a pile of garbage in the ground. It's basically what it is. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm discovering that... Um, that poison ivy is starting to grow up into it. So it's like, oh, oh well, that makes it useless for actually putting in my garden. But mm -hmm. but um, uh, I've seen another friend has one where it's a, it's like a barrel and it's on a stand and it, you can just sort of spin it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's all a contained thing. So there are, there are lots of options for that, especially if you're living in a more, you know, uh, congested, like a suburban kind of, atmosphere then you don't have to have a pile of garbage and really close to your house <laughs> yeah so that there are options for that like the one the things that I feel like I've figured out so far about this are um first of all that um that you have to people have to do their own research like like it feels like you can there's only so much you can tell them before there's there's like a saturation point and then it's going to be like anything you say might not be true. Do you know mm -hmm, what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I've, I was talking to someone this week about this all and I, who, who's, who isn't really paying attention supposedly. 
Um, that's the way that they told me was that, that it was, I'm not paying attention to the news. I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. so I just said, well, you know, I'll just tell you a couple things I know. And, um, and I mentioned, um, the 350 parts per million of carbon that the, the scientists basically said is the most that we could probably sustain without going over um, two degrees Celsius temperature rise, which was also a, sort of a guess as to as far as humanity will be able to handle climate change without it being disastrous. So this is all kind of a lot of a, a stack of estimates um, leading to this one number and, and that we have been over 400 for the last few months. And so that sort of to, that's like a really quick picture of how how the state of of this situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's effective or not, but the conversation I had with that person happened over the course of 2 days and the first day it was like I I we're screwed. There's nothing there's there's nothing we can do. It's, you know, and then the next day it was more engaged in like, well, there's nothing we can do if China doesn't do something or, you know, sort Mm -hmm. of kind of got more engaged. And then it was, and then there was actually a third phase where it was like, well, my, my, the way I make a living, this person said, if I was to really respond to this, I I wouldn't be able to put my kids through college. And all these 60 people who work for me are, are what what we're doing for a living isn't helping or is probably making things worse. Mm -hmm. So it was sort of like, well, that's what I'd be up against. And it was, and it was like the beginning of a productive response was like, well, then what do you do when you start to like, start to really look at it instead of saying, I'm not looking at it. So that was good. And I only gave a few little pieces of information, but ultimately to like really engage there, it just feels like to figure out what you, what you can do and what makes sense. It has to come from knowledge. And that's where I think I feel, feel like a lot of times overwhelm really is a place where you don't know what to do, but it's because you don't, you haven't looked at the information enough and the overwhelm hits. That's, I'm a a little bit all over the place today. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting question. What's that? Do you have to do the research yourself? Oh, okay. Because I, it sounds great. I'm turning that off. But, but I, I feel like, Sometimes emotionally, I don't have it in me to do that. Mm. But I do have it in me if some greater authority that I recognize and respect says, okay, change out your light bulbs. Okay, Mm. stop um, eating so much beef. (laughs) You know, those are kind of practical things, and I feel like... um, I can do them. And sometimes that, that's just easier than kind of looking at the whole big picture and saying, oh, my gosh, if I don't do this right now, then I shouldn't do anything, which sometimes I do say. Yeah. Maybe the better way of saying do your own research is choose your own sources. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so you, you have done your research enough to identify whose voices you want to follow in terms of leadership around, around not thinking. Not quite. No, no, I'm not quite there yet. Oh, okay. No, still working on that. <laughs> okay. No, it's still bits and pieces. Yeah. It's not cohesive. Yeah. I don't feel like I know, is it more effective for me to stop 
driving 50 miles a week Mm -hmm. or to not eat a beef sandwich. Right. And, and that's all still in the realm of what individual action. Right. Yeah. But why is it one or the other? I mean, well, that's true too. Yeah. For me, I'm, I'm at the same place around figuring it out around what are the things to push, what changes to push for in terms of system Mm -hmm. changes and, and, and then also how, how to do that. One thing that was encouraging that Angie t- said to me, mm-hmm. um, so this is someone that I, if you haven't been listening to all of these podcasts, um, another friend of ours is a climate scientist, and she and I had a conversation um, a few episodes back. One thing she mentioned is that a lot of the towns in Connecticut, and I'm assuming Connecticut is not alone, um, have established task forces to think about climate change. Uh And I need to follow up on that because I don't know what that means and if they're putting out any recommendations or if there's ways of contributing to their efforts. And so that's something I would love to put on my list. I've been making a long list of resources, which I'm yet to publish anywhere. Um, And a lot of the things on my list are other people's lists, and it starts Mm -hmm. to be a little bit maybe too much. But I will say that... uh, the, this one talk that I mentioned at the beginning by Naomi Klein, it was basically about her new book, which is um, uh, which I've talked about before and I have read. It's called This Changes Everything, Capitalism Versus the Climate. Um, and that was my, like my primer. And, and the, somewhere along the line, I had the realization that I was reluctant to spend money on materials like the, like that were about educating myself but I was willing. But I was thinking about how, why is it that I won't buy myself a book on on tape, or a book, you know, a downloadable book that I can listen to as I'm driving to to and from, um, and yet I will pay for Netflix and I'll pay for you know, uh, go out for dinner or you know buy myself treat type things. But when it comes to like learning and things that feel more even more important to me it feels like uh, uh, oh that I can't afford that so I kind of I've, I've I feel good that I've <laughs> um changed my orientation to that a bit and feel like okay it, it, this is important this is something to spend mm-hmm. some money on I've, I have a trouble spending money in general so so that's maybe just particular to me but um but that was great that book helped and and I think that that was just the beginning of kind of tr- doing research the way that's easiest for me, which is to have somebody talk to me and that, that um, I can just put it in my ear and go walk my dog, you know. Um, so for me, it's less about not wanting to spend money to buy a book yeah. and more about thinking about spending the sustained attention to read a book and absorb all that information yeah. and be overwhelmed, that that feels kind of like a lonely process. But as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, well, yeah, but, you know, I could encourage my book discussion group to read that book and discuss it. And that way I wouldn't feel so alone or overwhelmed or I would talk to you about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So some of this for me is identifying those places where I do feel stuck. Yeah, and I think that's such a good point. So I was saying the one, the first thing it was about doing your own research, but maybe it's more, maybe the thought is you have to do your own thinking. Like you have to see where, what is your understanding so far about this topic 
what are your questions about this topic and what gets in your way of looking at it long enough to, to, to get those questions addressed. And so the, the idea of I, the isolation that you feel around it is like, okay, well, how do you, then the next thing is like, well, how do you address that? And you come up with ideas. But, but I think it's really easy to feel like, um, just to feel that overwhelm and, and put, it, put it away and stop looking, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, like, when I started this, the idea for this podcast, it was coming out of that, the power of conversation as a place to sort of uh, to unhook the places where you're stuck because suddenly it surfaces that, um, no, I haven't been thinking about this. Why? Oh, because every time I think about it, I just feel like it's hopeless and I don't know, I feel dumb and small and whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, so so hopefully we'll continue to have conversations and mm-hmm. um, and be identifying areas to make progress in and reporting progress. So what, I'll ask you this question, and maybe this will become something I ask regularly. What's your next step? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, I think maybe my next step will be to listen to your other podcasts. <laughs> and um, ask my book discussion group to consider reading that book. Mm. How about you? My next step, um, I, have, I actually feel really glad to be able to tell you that I have things that are in line already for my next steps. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, I'm, I'm, I do a peer counseling thing, and there's a community around that, and I'm organizing a group of those peer counselors to do, to counsel on this topic so that we take time taking turns, paying attention to each other, thinking about this and processing our feelings about this um, and, and addressing that very question, what our next steps are. That's one thing. And then the other thing is that I've been doing a fundraiser for a forming NGO um, that plans to send delegates to Paris where they're going, the UN is having a conference on climate change um, in December. Um, so I'm helping to raise money to send to delegates who couldn't otherwise afford to send themselves, um, <clears throat> which I think is really important that people have a voice around this topic who, who don't necessarily have the means um, to include themselves at the table because they didn't have they don't have the money and they don't have the you know the credentials and they don't have the money to get the credentials and their lives are set up to be the on the front lines of most vulnerable due to climate change. So there's a couple of projects that I'm doing there. Um, um, But to push myself a little further, I think I want to read this cred thing about psychology from cover to cover. It's not very long. Um, And I have this long list of links, which I would like to make a page for on my website and then comb through them and really vet each one of them a little better. And whether or not it ends up being a resource that many people tap into might not be the most important piece for for me. It might be that now I have a better handle on this stuff. I will say, though, and I know we should wrap up, but I will say that um, there comes a point where information 
is a distraction from action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so for me, the as far as the information goes, the most important thing for me is to get is right now is to tap into more local groups that are doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a like three guys I think who get together as a as a uh, chapter of um, Citizens Climate Lobby, mm-hmm. which is an organization that where people I guess I I don't know enough about them yet, but I'm I'm starting to touch base with them. But I, my understanding is that they help train each other, basically train citizens to go and lobby for change. And, and that to me sounds like, okay, that's something that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, let me check that out. So that's, that's my answer for now. Next time we talk, it'll be different. Okay. And it'll be interesting to, to see how, where you come to. Mm-hmm. Anything else you'd like to say? No, I'm just really happy that you asked me in the first place why I went to that climate change rally and was I thinking about climate change. I'm really glad you brought it up. Thank you. And I will say that after you told me, yes, you said something like about 40% of my thoughts are about this. Mm -hmm. And I remember coming home and like, it was like the highlight of my day because I was like, oh, thank goodness. I'm not, I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And maybe, and it was very encouraging because I felt like maybe um, if Beth, who's quietly thinking about this 40% of the time, you know, it, if, you, if that's happening for you, maybe there's a lot of us. Mm-hmm. So that was very, very encouraging. So I would say have conversations with people. If you're thinking about this all the time, which you must be, or else you would not be listening to this podcast, you know, just ask people, are you thinking about this? Because you might be surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That okay. was great. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Um, let me just wrap up and say that... Um, um, you can listen to the past episodes of this podcast on my website, which is hellocc.info, um, or you can subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher. Um, I'd love to hear from you. If there's questions you'd like to have us address on this podcast, I really, really would love to hear from you. Send me a voice message or a comment on the website or something through, you can do comments through um, reviews on iTunes, which I will read. Thanks so much. Bye.